Hello, welcome to The Crap and the Crazy. I am Tash Critter. I have two kids with additional needs, so we have a very neurodiverse household. Between us, we cover autism, ADHD, and PDA. Who knows what else, but there's the diagnosed ones. I have a background in teaching, so I've got a Bachelor of Education, Kindy Tier 7. While I was studying at uni, I worked with over 20 families with kids with additional needs, uh, most of them on the spectrum, but then we had other diagnoses as well. So I was actually going into the homes and seeing what this looked like behind the scenes. Sure enough, then I had my own kids with additional needs. I own and manage Little Wooden Toy Box, so I design all of the resources. I've been doing that for almost 10 years now. So we use these at home and they have been tried and tested by hundreds of other families as well. I also work as a volunteer on the Heroes Program. So this is a one-to-one -one care, um, so a fun event day for kids in the community with additional needs. With my own kids, I've spent over 10 years, almost 700 hours um, in early intervention with speeches, OTs, psychs, physios, the works. Um, and this has given me a unique insight into understanding behaviours of concern, why they occur, what we can do to manage that, tools and strategies that we can use at home, in the classroom, in the therapy room to help work with these kids and understand these kids. My goal is to design and implement resources and coping strategies to make home life calmer and more organized while also helping to educate and encourage parents that are on the same journey as I am. You know, that may be starting this journey as well, whereas I'm 10 years along. Join me as I talk through day-to-day -day life with autism, the sucky bits and the wins, and tips for enjoying life despite the challenges. Hello, and welcome to episode 21. This one is titled, All Behaviour is Communication. I can't believe I hadn't thought to do this one already. So I have gone through um, a whole list of different behaviours that we typically see with kids with autism. And to, you know, see these as behaviours that are communicating a need rather than the kid being out of control or naughty or just running away or... Um, you know, whatever the, the typical responses would be to these behaviours, particularly in the classroom and in therapy as well. And asking yourselves, what if we chose to step back and see the situation and look at it differently and see what we as the adult, the parent, the teacher, the therapist could do differently um, to get a different response from these kids to meet their needs to you know look out for the triggers that are setting off these behaviors that challenge um, because these behaviors challenge us yeah and yeah how we could do things differently now again same as in the uh, last episode when I talked about co-regulation you could have all the knowledge in the world, you can understand your sensory profile, your kid's sensory profile, you could understand their triggers and whatnot, and you're still going to get it wrong at times here. Yeah? But if we can, you know, to the best of our ability, and again, we're not going to always get it right, but look at these behaviors, take a step back and you know, think through why are these behaviors happening, then we're in a place to be able to understand, to have empathy and to make changes to help these kids. Yeah. 
And a lot of these behaviors that you see are kids being overwhelmed and they're self-regulating to the best of their ability. There are other behaviors that are not socially acceptable that we do want to redirect and distract where possible. Um, And I guess knowing the difference, yeah? So if you've got a kid that's standing there flapping, but there, and you don't understand that behavior, like why is the kid flapping? Keep your hands by your sides or keep your hands in your lap in the classroom. But you've not understood that that flapping is a sign of either excitement or anxiety. And we, when we look at those emotions, they are very cro- closely related. So that kid may be um, containing themselves as best as they can by flapping. So they are regulating their emotions to perhaps prevent a meltdown um, or that's just how they show excitement yeah and once we understand that we're like oh okay I see what's happening there do I need to do something to help this kid regulate and bring them back down to a state of calm or can I enjoy this excitement with them for a little bit and then we calm down and move on or however that looks whatever the reason is for that um I cover in the sensory and emotional profiles that that excitement often comes with a sense of being out of control so we often see excitement as a positive if you want to call it that a positive emotion um but it's very closely linked to anxiety and particularly with one of my kids excitement would very very quickly lead straight into a meltdown yeah and this is where um, i've done the podcast on the birthday part birthday parties and surprises and Christmas, um, they are, you know, harder to manage in our house, um, or at least were in the earlier years, because I just didn't understand how something as exciting as opening presents on your birthday or Christmas could lead to a meltdown. But when you take a step back and you look at the behavior, oh, this was unexpected. So he was expecting a particular present but it was very unexpected the time it took to get it out of the case and out of the wrapping and out of everything else and in that time that was plenty of time to get um, so worked up that a meltdown happened yeah I've gone a little bit off track there but I'll run through my examples Um, lining up is a big one with kids with autism and everything in our house was lined up whether it was papers or rocks or cars or bugs or the bugs didn't stay still long enough often um but when we look at that behavior that's the kid having some sense of control and order in a world that is so chaotic yeah and kids with autism often have very rigid literal thinking patterns and this can be a real strength as far as working in um, industries such as it where that type of thinking is needed and required and they actually excel in those types of jobs so not every behavior is a sign of something negative as well does that make sense and when we um see it this way as a form of a communication not that lining up is so oh no it can be lining up can be seen as a form of communication because it is a behavior and it can be um when they're feeling anxious and overwhelmed as well and lining things up is something that they can control they can put it in order they can put it in a line they can make it neat and tidy and then that reduces anxiety i read up on this one a little bit 
just before doing this podcast and that repetitive behavior. So they used an example of imagine if you're going on a holiday. Yeah. So you're making sure that you've got your passports in order and you've got your toiletries in order and you've remembered your bathers and you've remembered your shoes and you've packed your clothes and um, you can imagine having that lined up on the bed ready to go and just running through it to make sure you've got everything and that sense of calm of okay I haven't forgotten anything deep breath we're good five minutes later oh did I remember this going back and checking do you can you relate to that sort of so it's that sort of thing of control and calm and a sense of order in a world that's chaotic yeah. Um, another one was that wanting to be alone and often that parallel play. So we often see kids with autism not actually really interacting and engaging with kids around them. Yeah. And this can be so we can we can try and encourage that. But when we stop and step back and have a look Social interaction can be so overwhelming, particularly when you think so literally, when you don't get the um, social expectations, the social norms, the inferences, all of those underlying things that you tend not to have to teach neurotypical kids. They tend to pick it up. Um, These things we have to very explicitly teach our kids with autism and playing alone is a way of enjoying whatever they're doing and reducing all that social overwhelm yeah so I guess having a think about all right is this a teachable moment are we going to use this to teach and model interacting or is this okay for my kid or this kid to play by themselves and just have some calm time yeah Um, flapping we have run through that intense focus or not responding to you this was more the case with one of my kids and that can be another sign of overwhelm as well in that the sensory overwhelm of the lights the noise in the environment the the different noises the noises you're supposed to block out versus the ones like mum's voice talking to you and just everything would get blocked out and um with her I would have to squeeze her shoulders or like you know tap her to get attention because she was just so focused so in her own world and again looking at that and I could I guess unless I know better I don't choose but you could see that as a kid being rude as a kid ignoring you as selective listening or selective hearing whatever we call it or again I could step back, look at the situation differently and go, oh, they are really not coping with the overwhelm at the moment. We could try headphones, yeah? Or we could try hiding in a dark place, so setting up a little tent um, or something to help them self-regulate and remain calm, be in a safe place without blocking out the world around them. Now, for some kids, this may work. For some kids, it may not. I didn't know this back when my child would respond that way. So I didn't, um, you know, fix it as such. I want to say on that point as well, these kids don't need fixing. They're not broken. So again, coming from a point of view of empathy, understanding, wanting to help, wanting to bring out the best in them rather than trying to fix them. Yeah, despite me just saying trying to fix it. Stimming is another one. Um, I remember at our big heroes events, not mine, I volunteer. 
at Nations Church where we run the Heroes events. We just had another big one on the weekend. But one of the volleys came up to me and her kid was flapping um, or spinning or stimming somehow. And she asked, is that like she was asking what does this mean what does this behavior mean do I need to do something have I done something that has upset this kid and he was just excited and he was just self-regulating so stimming will often see as flapping is a form of stimming rocking is a form of stimming um, spinning things one of my kids love spinning things whether it's wheels uh, whether it's wheels on a car driving on the freeway or whether it's wheels on a toy or whether it's a fan or a ceiling fan just anything that spins and you would often catch him just spinning in circles looking at a fan for ages and that for him was enjoyable we see stimming for different reasons we can see it as a sign of anxiety and not coping so they're using it as a strategy to calm themselves down it can be purely for enjoyment we see that just as much or as a sign of overwhelm with what's going on in the environment as well. So looking, you know, what has gone on around them? Why do you think they may be doing that? Is it something that you, I would never encourage stopping it unless it's unsafe. Um, My girl has done it to the point where she fell over, smashed her head, ended up with a cut, blood everywhere. So, you know, not always good. Um, Use your discretion as well. But I guess before jumping in and trying to fix things, to watch what's going on and why is this happening? Oh, what else have we got? Rocking, which I've mentioned as well, can be because they're overwhelmed. It can be because that is the sensory need at the moment, so that proprioceptive feedback. Um, Anxiety as well, so looking at you know, why has it happened? Is there anything else you need to do? Is there anything else you can do to help? Or do you need to leave them be to calm down and self-regulate? I wrote down tippy toes and then I didn't put any notes next to it. So I've got nothing for you there. I forgot to look it up. That's another common one, the tippy toes um, with kids with autism. I don't actually know why. Um, I could guess proprioceptive feedback. I don't know. Anyway, I probably should have just skipped that in my notes. I'll come back to you on that one later. I just had a quick Google. I'm sitting in front of the computer anyway. So your tippy toes is often um, a sign of dysfunction in the vestibular system. The whole, I forgot to mention that before, as far as spinning, that's a part of that vestibular system which controls your balance. Um, controls may not be the right word I'm not a scientist go look it up if you care more than the practical um, implications of this so we often see with that rocking swinging um, spinning that vestibular system that balance that whole body in space so the proprioception comes into it as well is kind of off kilter yeah and they require that um, bigger sensory feedback Tippy toes is probably a little bit different, but anyway, I'm just going to move on. Hiding is another one. So again, a sign of overwhelm or emotional regulation, uh, sensory regulation as far as being in a dark, closed space, feeling safe and calm and happy in that environment when everything else in the world or the house or the classroom or whatever is a little bit crazy and chaotic um, that brings that sense of calm lowers the anxiety helps them to cope so having a you know a hidey place a cubby house a tent um, in your house where your kid can go to where they're feeling overwhelmed is a really great tool to have 
and a way that they can regulate themselves. Yeah, so you're not always having to um, help them. That's what we really want to teach our kids. Um, so not fixing them as such, but to give them tools and strategies where we can help them to return to a state of calm, but more importantly, where they can then take on responsibility for these tools and strategies to keep themselves calm and to you know, grow these tools and strategies as they get older to cope well as adults, yeah? Because they've got to live in the same world that we do. And like it or not, there's the same expectations, yeah? So when they learn to self-regulate themselves, they have more control, yeah? Covering eyes is another one. So same as covering ears when there's loud sudden noises or when the environment's too loud or whether there's a screechy noise or a particular noise they don't like. Same with covering their eyes so they can have sensitivity to brightness, to flashing lights, to particular types of lights. Um, Yeah, sun is a big one for one of my kids and timing when we're in the car is i mean you can't always help it but it's a consideration um to help make life more enjoyable and the last one i had was running this isn't an exhaustive list by any means it's just a, a typical list of behaviors you'll see with kids with autism um so running away someone asked this question at a hero's thing as well where the kid in a particular setting kept running away what do you do um Firstly, make sure the kid's safe, so chase them. But to, again, step back and look at, well, what were the triggers? What's always happening when this particular, say, I don't know, I can't remember what it was. Say it was a particular class at school. Um, So what things are always happening when this class is happening at school? Yeah, is it a particular teacher? Is there a particular smell? Is there a particular expectation? Do the lights change? Does the noise change? Is there extra music? Is there something that bangs? Like looking at the environment and taking those steps back to see what is triggering this kid to have that fight or flight response. So in this case, flight, they're getting out of here. Yeah. And again, sign of anxiety, sign of overwhelm, whether it's sensory or emotional, it's too much to deal with. I'm out of here. Yeah. Which it makes sense. At the end of the day, meltdowns are just a part of life when it comes with comes to autism, uh, whether that is the loud screaming, throwing, hitting, biting, however that looks for your kid um, or the kid that you work with, or whether it's those silent meltdowns. So it's just as important to acknowledge those silent meltdowns because that kid is not coping either, even though it might be easier for you to deal with or ignore Um, still acknowledging that they are not okay. But to do whatever we can to look out for the triggers, to look out for what's going on in their environment, and look, you're not always going to get it right. And it may be, you know, three times of the kid running away in this particular situation before you actually understand what set them off. You may never be able to understand what has set them off in a certain situation. And that's that's okay too. But it's, it's being or coming from a position of I'm trying to understand what's going on. I'm looking for those triggers in the environment, um, you know, in what's going on around you to see if we can put some things in place or help you to regulate to prevent those meltdowns and the um, 
the big behaviors that challenge. Yeah. All right. Um, this also means, as I've covered in the the last episode, looking after yourself as well, understanding your own sensory profile so that you can be well regulated and therefore be in a position to, even though there's escalating behaviors, there may be screaming, whatever going on, you're in a place to actually look at the situation differently and try and understand and have that empathy. Yeah. So when you begin to get frustrated, when you begin to join their chaos, you've stopped understanding. Yeah. And look, you're not always going to get it right. You may only get it right 10% of the time. Celebrate your wins, pick your battles. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go. I will leave it there. I hope that has helped someone and I will talk to you soon. Bye.